Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scottsdale Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. We are currently in a series called The Movement, which is a study of the book of Acts. We are specifically looking at God's movement through the early church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. Those of you who are in our in-person gathering, so good to have you here today. Those of you who are watching us online, we're so grateful that you're continuing to join us each week. And those of you in the Cross Point Center, let me give you a shout out. Thank you for being there week in and week out. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here at Scotts Hill. And we are in our third week of a new series in the book of Acts that we're calling The Movement. And the reason we're calling it the movement is because what we see through the book of Acts is the formation of the body of Christ, the church, and we see how the Lord Jesus has commissioned her to move with the gospel across the world, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And we do know that the plan that the Lord Jesus laid out was successful because you and I are the ends of the earth. And because of that, we have experienced the love of God. We have given um, understanding to the message of the gospel, and we've surrendered our lives to Christ, so we see the reality of that. And so each week, what we're doing is we're going to look at large sections of Scripture and land on a couple of basic principles in those sections of Scripture. Two weeks ago, we began with chapter 1, and we landed in one verse, and that's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And in that verse, we find the mission statement for the entire book of Acts, Um, Luke is recording this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus speaks to those disciples right before he ascends, and he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Just what Matt was talking about a few moments ago, Jesus gave to us the essentials for carrying out the mission of the church, and they're threefold. He says we will receive power. That power is the Holy Spirit's presence within us. And you and I cannot effectively carry out the ministry of the church without the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are in desperate need for the fullness of the Spirit of God in our lives. Secondly, there's a clear purpose. Our purpose is we're simply to be witnesses. We're to give testimonies of what Jesus has done in us and what he is doing through us. That is our purpose as children of God. And we are simply to be the witnesses. And lastly, he's given us a plan. We're to start in our community. That's your home. We're to start in our country. That's surrounding areas. We're to start with, continue with the continents. We go to the ends of the earth. And it's very clear. And what we'll see in the, in the book of Acts is it always goes back to these three things. We see it time and time again. We will see the Spirit of God filling people. We will see them being witnesses in this world, and we will see the advancement of the gospel around the world from the beginning of Acts all the way to the end. And we talked about things being prescriptive and descriptive. Prescriptive means these are the things that the church should do. Descriptive are just simply things that the church in that day did that doesn't necessarily apply for us. But when we talk about purpose, power and a plan, those are prescriptive. These are the things that we are called to do. Then last week we were in chapter two of the book of Acts. And in that chapter, we saw how God 
developed while he builds and he multiplies the church. Peter preaches his very first sermon, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. That's 3,000 men. Probably at least 6,000 people got saved through his very first sermon. And we see that God is building the church and multiplying it, and he does it through four means. That he meets people where they are. We talked about that last week. That he tells them the truth about who they are, He provides salvation through Jesus. He demands a response, and then he creates a new community of people. And what we saw in Acts chapter 2 was Peter's sermon did exactly those things. When we come to the conclusion of Acts chapter 2, here's what we discover is the church is gathered together as a new community. There's oneness with one another. They're studying, they're praying, they're worshiping together. And then the last phrase of that chapter 2 says that God was adding to them daily those who were being saved. And what we see in chapters 3 and 4, and this is where we're going to be today, we see how the church moves in culture. We see from that point of the gathering, of the beginning of the church, what we see now is how the church moves forward in its culture. One of the things that we're going to see over and over again, that the church always moves in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And God calls his church today to do the same. And that way, this is prescriptive as well. We are called to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. We're to live Spirit-filled lives. Let me just say this, and we got to understand this. The Spirit-filled life for the Christian is not something that should just take place within a building such as this. It should not take place just as we worship together. It should not take place just as we fellowship together. The fullness of the Spirit of God is for that intimacy between us and God and one another. But the fullness of the Spirit of God is so we can accomplish what He wants us to do in culture. Outside of the four walls of this group. Outside of the four walls of a small group in a home. We are called to be empowered by the Spirit of God so that we might effectively carry out the mission that he has for us. And there is the prescriptive thing for every believer is to walk in the fullness of God. Now, in chapters 3 and 4, it's broken down into three specific ways that the church moves in culture with a Spirit-filled life. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you how the early church moved in culture, how that is prescriptive for you and me today as we live in this world, which is often and more increasingly a hostile world towards those who trust in Christ. Now, let me give you the first, the, the first of the three points. Here's the first thing that we see, that God calls us to walk in spirit-filled awareness. When we leave this place, we are to live our lives in culture with the spirit-filled awareness of people around us. That's exactly what Peter and John do. Look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And we read verses 1 through 3, and we see what's taking place. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. That would have been about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, 
to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, the early church didn't know any other way of worship but to just simply go in the temple where they had always worshiped before. There are thousands of people in Jerusalem. They're all going into the temple. And by this time, there's probably three to 6,000 new believers who are going to worship. It must have been an exciting time. And right there at this gate called the Beautiful Gate was strategically placed a lame man. He had been lame his whole life. We know that. We, he had never been able to walk. Somebody had to carry him to that place. They had to set him up. They had to leave him there. And there he would strategically be placed where people are going in where he can beg for food or he can beg for money. And that's exactly what is happening. And here's the amazing thing that we see. That as this man is strategically placed there, Peter and John or walking through that section. Now, I want you to know this. There were a lot of beggars in that area because the beggars in that day all strategically placed themselves where they could receive the greatest offerings from people. And as Peter and John are walking in this crowd and there are thousands of people and there are many people calling out for help, verse four says, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and said, look at us. I love this. Luke uses a word that's really interesting, his gaze. It doesn't mean he just looked at him. The word gaze means to intently see, to thoroughly investigate, and this is the one I love the most, to see beyond the ordinary. Here they are walking in the culture, filled with the Spirit of God, and he is looking at this man, and he sees something beyond the ordinary. What does he see? Well, let me tell you what he saw. Peter saw the man's brokenness. There was nothing he could do to place himself without the help of others. The man was utterly broken. He saw his bankruptcy. There was no way the man could improve his situation. He had no money. He would never have much of anything except the clothes on his back. He saw his separation. You know that because he was lame, he was not allowed to go to the temple of God. And his entire life, he has been separated from worshiping God with the people of God. And the fourth thing was his hopelessness. The man wasn't even looking at them. He was looking around. And he was probably absolutely hopeless in his circumstance. And here's what we see about spirit-filled awareness Spirit-filled awareness is simply seeing people the way Jesus sees them. That's what it is. You see, when you and I walk in a spirit-filled awareness, we begin to see people the way Jesus sees them. And let's be honest, all of us are in the same boat. Without Christ, we're all broken. We cannot fix ourselves. Without Christ, there's a spiritual bankruptcy within every one of us. We cannot cleanse ourselves. Without Christ, there's a separation between us and a holy God. We cannot renew ourselves. And there's a hopelessness to our lives. You know what's interesting? This man is strategically placed at a gate that's called the beautiful gate. Let's be honest. Most of us don't have a problem looking to people 
who are the beautiful people, don't we? We don't have a problem gazing on the beautiful people. You know the people that have everything together? The people that, that are cool? The people that are advancing in life? The people who seem to have everything organized? The people who most likely can do something for us. But, but to look at the broken people? Man, no, 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 that, that's too much work. That is too messy. There are no dividends necessarily associated with broken people. And yet, where did Jesus spend his time? With the broken of culture. The shortest man in Jericho who was the biggest thief, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house tonight. The woman who was caught in adultery. Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The leper that Jesus reached out his hand and touched, which was taboo in that culture. The Roman centurion, who was an outcast, a man of another race that was not worthy of the time. You see, spirit-filled awareness is us seeing people the way Jesus sees them. And I love what Peter says. Peter says to the man, look at us. Apparently, the man was not looking in their eyes. He was looking down. He sees them walking by, and he just cries out like all the other people. Hey, you know what? Give me some money. Somebody help me out. And Peter stops him, and he says, look at us. Now, that's a little bit awkward. When I'm up here preaching, I will say to you every now and then, look at me. Look at me. I want your attention. Somebody's getting up, and they're walking across, and you women are looking at the other women's dress and their shoes and the encore, everything they're wearing, their ensemble. And I'm like, look at me. You know, that's one thing. But if you and I were having coffee and I said, look at me, that'd be kind of intimidating, wouldn't it? But you know what Peter does? He says, look at me, look at me. And then he says this in verses five and six, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I do give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand. And right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You know what I love about this? Peter says, Listen, your greatest need is not money. Your greatest need is not some kind of new clothes. Your greatest need is Jesus himself. And in the name of Jesus, I command you to get up and walk. And what does he do? The man leaps to his feet. The man has been lame since birth. In chapter four, it tells us that he was over 40 years old. That was ancient in that community. And as he's over 40 years old, he had never walked in his life. He knew nothing about balance. And yet he was able to walk without any kind of physical therapy. He was able to leap and join. Listen to this. He went to the temple for the first time in his life. What did he give him? Spirit-filled awareness has given people what they need most. And this man's greatest need was Jesus. Let me tell you, when you and I are living a spirit-filled life outside of this culture, there will be a spirit-filled awareness where we look at people the way Jesus looks at them and we see that their greatest need are not the things that this world has to offer. Their greatest need is Jesus. And sometimes we miss that, don't we? Sometimes we give people the things they really don't need. 
I think of our own children. Sometimes we give our children the wrong thing. Oh, they need self-esteem. Or they need a little bit more of encouragement. Or they need, a, maybe, maybe if we just give them some more toys. Or maybe if they have the right dress. Or if they have the, the right clothes. No, the greatest need of our children is Jesus. The greatest need of our spouses is Jesus. The greatest need of those who live around us is the Lord Jesus himself. And one of the greatest things we can do is always be sensitive with the Spirit, giving them what they most need. I love the way Peter writes in 1 Peter. He writes a letter to a group of people. He never forgot this situation. He never forgot it. He writes about it years later from Rome, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That means this, that when you and I leave this place, as the body of Christ, we are called to walk with a spirit-filled awareness of people in our culture. There are people all around us every single day who are crying out for help. They're broken. They're bankrupt. They're separated from God. They're hopeless. And let me tell you the danger. We encounter this so often that we become desensitized to the brokenness of our culture. How many times do you drive to the same place and you see the homeless woman standing there and after a while she no longer stirs your heart? Or you see the brokenness of someone in your neighborhood and they no longer stir your heart because we have grown accustomed to the flesh but for the body of Christ and individual believers who are stirred with the spirit of God within them, there is always a spirit-filled awareness where I'm looking around asking the Holy Spirit to let me see these people let me just give you an illustration in my own life and i try to live by this and, and 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 here's the thing it's not that god is calling you to fix everybody it's not that god is calling you to pray for everybody but there are certain people that he puts in your path my son-in-law son-in-law and i joe were in a in an airport one day and we were flying to ecuador and while we're sitting in the food court area, I'm looking across the way, and I see this young woman with her food. She's sitting there at the table, and she is eating, and then she'll just cry. And she's eating, and she'll just cry. And I'm watching her. And then the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, go pray with her. I'm like, what? <laughs> she didn't know who I am. Go pray with her. I'm thinking, okay. So I get up, I walk over there to her, and I said, young lady, I don't mean to freak you out or weird you out or anything. I said, but God said, no. <laughs> I don't mean to weird you out, but as I'm sitting back here, I'm watching you. And you are obviously in some hurt and some pain. And God just pressed upon my heart to come pray for you. Can I pray for you about something? And she said, my father died and my mom's at home and I'm trying to get to them. I said, let me pray for you. So I pray with her. Then she asked me this question. Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? And I just said to her, I said, he's in eternity. She said, but where? And I said, if he trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, 
he is safe. She cried again. And she said, both my mom and dad love Jesus. She said, but I am so far from him. And I said, talk to your mom when you get home. That was it. What would happen if we walked in that kind of spirit-filled awareness? And we're keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And when he prompts us, we give obedience to move. It's what Peter did. It's what John did. And all through the book of Acts, you find the church impacting its culture by being spiritually aware of the brokenness, the bankruptcy, the separation, and the hopelessness of people. I want to encourage you this week to listen to the promptings of the Spirit of God and just give obedience to that and follow Him. So the early church moved as they walked out in a spirit-filled awareness. But here's the second thing they did. They moved as they walk in spirit-filled gospel faithfulness. Gospel faithfulness. What does that mean? That means that they were faithful to the preaching of the gospel. Here's what happens. Peter preaches his first sermon, and he's faithful to the gospel, and now he's about to preach his second sermon. And you know what you're going to find in the second sermon? The same thing as the first sermon. You know what you're going to find in his third sermon? The same thing as in the first and the second sermon. He never changes the message. He is faithful to the gospel. So spirit-filled gospel faithfulness is simply faithfully communicating the gospel in a consistent and a biblical manner. That's all it is. It is speaking the truth of the gospel the same every time in every situation that we find ourselves. Now here's what happens in verse 12. Peter finds himself now with the opportunity to preach because everybody has seen the miracle of this lame man. The lame man is hanging and clinging to them because he's never met anybody like Peter and John. Nobody has ever given him what he needed most, Jesus. So he's clinging to them. And then in verse 12, it says this. It says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? You know what he's doing? He's just simply following what he did before. He's meeting the people where they are. Secondly, then in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. You know what he did? He told them the truth. He meets them where they are. He tells them the truth about their sin. But here's the third thing. He shares salvation with them. Verse 15b says, to, uh, and and um, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. He tells them the truth about salvation. And then he gives them the fourth thing. He demands a response. Look at verses 19 and 20. But when God foretold by the, um, 19 and 20, sorry, repent therefore and turn back 
that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. You know what he's telling them? He's telling them, you need to repent. You need to respond. And while Peter's preaching, this is a crazy thing. He's preaching to all these thousands of people. While he's preaching, the high priest and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these guys come to arrest him. He's on the platform, if there was a platform. He's preaching to all these people. They handcuff him. They're dragging him off. And as he's being dragged off, he's calling for them to surrender their lives. And they haul him off while he's preaching. That'd be like me preaching to you this morning. And the authorities burst through here and they handcuff me and I'm still preaching. And they're dragging me off and I'm saying, yeah, whatever you do, give your life to Christ. And you know what happens? Crazy. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Wow, that's pretty good. Sermon 1, 3,000 people come. Sermon 2, 5,000 people come. You know how many people are now born into the church in a matter of days? Anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people are there. It's incredible. Then he gets arrested. He's dragged off by the Pharisees and they want to hear what happens. And verses eight and nine, here's what happens. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is again. He's filled with the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is filling his life. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Then he goes on. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men may be saved. Do you hear it? Same thing. He met them where they were. He told them the truth about who they are. He told them that their greatest need is Jesus. In this passage, he didn't have the opportunity to demand a response because they wouldn't give it. So spirit-filled gospel faithfulness is simply this. Meet people where they are. Every single day, you have the opportunity to meet people where they are. It's not your job to change them. It's not your job to say, hey, go clean up your act. You know what? I'll talk with you when you stop cussing. You know, I'll talk with you when you stop acting like that. You know, I'll talk with you if you ever clean your... No, no, no. We meet people where they are in their brokenness and their bankruptcy and their separation and their hopelessness. Secondly, tell them the truth about who they are. Tell them the truth about sin. Tell them the truth about what separates them from a holy God. The third thing is tell them about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus did, what he did for you, and how he can change their life. And lastly, ask them to respond. Give them the opportunity to respond and invite them into your community. This is gospel faithfulness. We see it constantly. Whether Peter is preaching to people in the crowd or he's preaching to the highest religious leaders of his day. He was always faithful to the message. Now, let me say this, and this is so important. There is always the tendency in every culture to make the gospel less demanding, less requiring, and more popular 
and more palatable. There is always the tendency to do that. And if you look in our culture today, you will see church after church after church that's so concerned about building a crowd and building popularity and making it more palatable and easy that we water down the gospel and it becomes nothing more than a bunch of self-helps to people who cannot help themselves. We see it all around. It's called Christianity light. You know what Christianity light is? Oh, it tastes great and it's less filling. It always is. And it's true. We have Christianity light all across our culture. We have, you, know, you don't have to have all those heavy demands. Oh, don't call people sinners. That, that's offensive to them. Oh, you know, let's not do this. Here's what we need to do. Let's make it very popular. Let's design it. Let's have a custom gospel, a designer gospel. What we need to do is we need to redirect it. We need to water it down. We need to change the meaning and what is expected of them. Oh, I want to tell you, it goes down light. It settles well. It scratches the itch of what we want. But it is hollow and it is worthless. In fact, it's worse and worthless. The churches that are preaching Christianity light don't even realize what they're doing. They're deceiving people who are on their way to hell with a smile on their face. And here's the point for us. If we're going to be the spirit-filled people that God wants us to be, it is one thing for us to have this spirit-filled awareness. It's another thing to have a spirit-filled gospel faithfulness when we never change the message. But here's a third thing that we see. Walk in spirit-filled boldness. Here's what they do. They walk in a spirit-filled boldness that's incredible. Spirit-filled boldness is simply this, walking in the courage of Jesus. That's what it is. It's walking in the courage of Christ himself. Here's what's amazing about the disciples. Before they were filled with the Spirit, the easy things were hard. After they were filled with the Spirit, the hard things are easy. And they're walking in the very courage of Jesus. Think about the courage of Jesus. There was nobody more courageous than Jesus himself. He stood toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He called them brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He stood before the Sadducees and challenged them. He stood before Pilate and challenged him. He stood before Herod. He stood before the cross with no regret. Nobody was as courageous as Jesus was. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, after the Pharisees and and, uh, leaders examined the disciples, here's what we see. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. What was it? The boldness. They recognized the boldness. Now remember, these were the very men who put Jesus to death. They were the very men who were there when they challenged him on trial. These were the very men who sentenced him to the cross. And they see the same thing in Peter and John and Will in the early church. There was a boldness about them. And so what happens is the Pharisees let them go. The religious leaders let them go. And they say, listen, just don't talk anymore about Jesus. And they say, look, whether it's right to obey you or to obey God, 
We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Do you hear that? There's the power. There's the purpose, the witness. But then the church gathers together and they have this prayer meeting. It's estimated maybe 20,000 new believers there praying together. What are they praying for? They're praying for boldness. Wait, 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 wait. Why are they praying for boldness? They're filled with the Spirit of God, aren't they? Why are they going to pray for boldness? The same reason you and I need to pray for boldness. Yeah, we may be filled with the Spirit of God, but I had an old pastor many years ago who says, I asked him, I said, why do we have to keep being filled? He says, easy, we leak. <laughs> and, and you need to keep being filled with the Spirit of God. What are they praying for? They're praying for boldness. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Isn't that amazing? They're constantly praying for boldness. Why? The same reason you and I do. Let me give you three reasons why we need to constantly pray for boldness. Number one, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. There'll be some people who will receive the message of Christ when you share it with them, but there will be a majority of people who reject it and they will be opposed to it. You see, we're living in a culture today where people still don't like to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about their sin. They don't want to hear that they need a savior. They don't want to see Christians living a holy life because it makes them realize how unholy they are. And so there's a rejection every time we share the gospel. And we need boldness because of that opposition. And we need to ask that even though we may not be received, that we would still speak the truth. I'm going to tell you this. In that culture, there was always opposition. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. And why is it that we think any different in this culture today? If they hate Jesus, they're going to hate us. And we need boldness because of how people will come against you. And when you walk in biblical principles, the, the, the cancel culture is not new. They try to cancel the disciples. They try to cancel Jesus. And you will pay for it. And you will know that there's opposition you may not receive that promotion because of your relationship with Christ. You might lose your business because you're standing on biblical principles and refuse to give in to the demands of the culture. And what we end up seeing is that there is real opposition. There always will be. And so we need the boldness to recognize that even in the midst of that opposition, we will not cave. Here's the second reason we need boldness. There will be the fear of man. There will be the fear of man. Let's be honest. We like people to like us, don't we? We don't want to be the guy that nobody likes. We don't want to be the woman that's called Karen on the job because she shares Christ. What do we want? We want to be liked. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says this, that the fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in God will be saved. And we're living in a culture where we don't want to be the person that is persecuted or ridiculed. 
And so what do we do? We don't want to tell people about their sin because they're going to say, who are you? You're judging me. We don't want to tell people about Jesus. They'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that Christianity is exclusive and there's only one way to God? We don't want to tell people about our convictions and what God is doing. We don't want to tell people about our prayer life because we're afraid of what they're going to think. And when you and I give into the fear of men, then the enemy is happy because he has silenced us because we care more about what people think than what God thinks. And so we need boldness. I am astonished in our culture today with such a fear for the cancel culture that so many people have been silenced. People who once were bold, people who sang about Christ-likeness and, and the gospel have so caved into the culture because they're afraid of maybe losing some popularity or afraid of losing some status or afraid of losing what people might think about them that we have essentially become silenced as a church. And what must the heart of the Father be like? Wow. You're concerned with them? You know what that'd be like? That'd be like us being deathly afraid of a kitty cat, but embracing a wild lion. We're afraid of the things we should not be afraid of. And one day when you and I stand before God, we're not going to give an account to those people who ridiculed us. We're going to give account to our Father. And He's calling us to be bold. So we need to be praying that the fear of man doesn't become a snare. Here's a third one. There will be a temptation to change the message. There'll be a temptation to change the message. Let me tell you how, what I mean by that. In every culture, as I said earlier, there's always a tendency to adapt to what's happening in culture. There's always a tendency to do that. And so here's what we want to do a lot of times. We, we want to dumb down the message of the gospel, the requirements of the gospel. We want to make it so soft that all the teachings of what the Bible says in all areas of life, we try to adjust for the culture. And so what do we do? We don't want to talk about the controversial things. We don't want to talk about the hard things. We don't want to talk about the truth of God's word and how culture is contrary to it. So what do we do? We just talk about Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know what? what? Just, just receive Jesus and your, your life will be better. Just receive Jesus and your marriage will be better. Just receive Jesus and your kids will be more obedient. Just receive Jesus and we keep going on. It's almost like we have to defend Jesus to the world. I got news for you. Jesus doesn't need our defense. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need a Botox injection or a tan or cool sneakers. He's already good. And here's what the problem is. When we just talk about Jesus, from that point, we, we effectively abandoned the gospel and the plan for redemption, the atonement. So what do churches do? We gather together and say, oh, we got to feed the poor. Let's go feed the poor, but we never tell the poor about the bread of life. 
We talk about, oh, there's social injustice. Let's talk about social justice. But we never tell them about the righteous justice of God. Oh, we might tell them. You know what the issue is? The issue is all about race. But we forget to tell them that God is no respecter of anybody. And when we do that and leave it out, are those things important? Yes. Feeding the poor, is that important? Yes. Social justice, is that important? Yes. Racism, is that an important issue? Yes. But apart from the message of the gospel, it's powerless. And we miss the boldness. This week as I was working through this, I felt like the Lord gave me a statement. I wrote it down. And I want to give this to you. It's not in any notes, so I encourage you to just take your phones out right now. Take a picture of the screen. I, I'm not saying this because it's something that I have written, but I think this is where our culture is heading. And this is why there's not any power in the church with the gospel anymore. Here's what I wrote. When we move from the gospel to a progressive gospel, we end up with a powerless gospel that leads to a post-Christian gospel. Do you hear that? When I walk away from the gospel to a progressive gospel, it's no longer powerful because it's man-centered. And ultimately, we're going to move into a post-Christian gospel. And we wonder why our young people are running from the church today. Why? All I have to do is feed people. All I have to do is be nice to people. And we miss out the message of what we're called for. We need, as a church, to speak truth to culture with boldness. We're living in a culture today where the church is trying to be silent because so many people are afraid. We can't say that. People will be mad at us. If we say this, people will think we're bigoted. If we say this, people will think we're a racist. And so therefore, we don't speak truth to our culture. We don't speak truth to our politicians. We don't speak truth to our leaders. And as a result, the church is effectively closing its own doors. We don't need the government to do it. Abortion is still the premeditated murder of a human being, Period. You could call it reproductive health. You could call it a woman's choice. In the end, it is murder of a human being, period. That is truth to culture. The sanctity of marriage is designed for one man and one woman for life, period. That is the truth to culture. And we need to understand that. Gender is binary, male and female, assigned divinely by God at birth. Period. That is truth to culture. Every human being is created in the image of God, and therefore, all lives matter. That is truth to culture. Now... Does that mean that other issues are not true? No. 
But that's a boldness that we need. You know what happened at the end of their prayer time? Here's what happened. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. It was shaken. This is the third time in three chapters that they were filled with the Spirit of God. Baptism of the Spirit happens once. Is that conversion? The filling of the Spirit of God is every single day over and over and over as my yield my life to the Holy Spirit. And we are called as a body to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And therefore, I believe that there is a desperate need for us to call out to God. What are we to pray for daily? Spirit-filled awareness. Spirit-filled awareness, asking the Holy Spirit to make you aware of the situations of your life so you can see people the way Jesus sees them and give them what they most need. Secondly, spirit-filled gospel faithfulness. I make a commitment to speak the truth of the gospel and I will not change it regardless of what culture says. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. In it alone, thirdly, spirit-filled boldness. That we would walk not in arrogance, not in being obnoxious, but standing in the boldness of truth and speak that truth to culture regardless of the results. I believe that we have the greatest opportunity in the body of Christ that we have ever had in decades and in this culture what is desperate is the cry for truth but the question is what are we going to be church what are we going to be and I believe that God is going to take these opportunities and he's going to prune the body of Christ and he's going to purify the body of Christ and he's going to position the body of Christ to where we need to be regardless of what culture says. So I'm speaking to believers. Will you make a commitment? Will you make a commitment to these things and to say, I want to be so filled with the Spirit of God that I walk in that awareness, that I walk in that faithfulness to the message, that I walk in boldness because I want to please God over men. Will you do that? Will you do that? Because that's the answer for the bride of Christ today. That is moving into culture and taking what we know to be true and to fleshing it out for a world that is pleading for the truth. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would challenge our hearts with this message and Father, you would refine our thinking. And Father, we would ask you to show us how we make this a reality in our lives and we speak truth to culture. 
Father, may we be bold. May we be faithful. May we be aware. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, let me say to you, your greatest need is Jesus. And I want to invite you to surrender your life to him. I want to invite you to come and speak with me and say, hey, how do I do that? Speak with one of our leaders. Go online. Respond to any one of us through an email. And we would love to meet with you and share the truth with you. Thank you for listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast. And thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scott's Hill. Until next time.